church. Okay, this is a good, this is a good week. This is a good week to be here. It's, it's always a good week to be here, but this is a good week. You are so smart for being here today. And that's because this is a week that we're actually, um, we're going to look back on this weekend as a key pivotal weekend in our church's history, in the lifeblood of our church. Um, we've been around for 40 years now this year, and so this is, this is one of those weekends that, like there's weekends back when, when NBC was first planted. I wish I was a part of meetings and gatherings, and, and I wasn't because I wasn't here until I was just, I've only been here for a, a brief 21 years. But back in the beginning, like that's, I wish I was part of some of those services, and you guys are at one of those services that is a milestone weekend service. This weekend, we're starting a series called Step Up and Step Out, Walking with Courage into the Next Chapter of Our Church. And uh, we're really going to be frameworking this week, next week, and the following week all on the passage of uh, Joshua chapter 1 through 3, those chapters right there at the beginning of the book of Joshua. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to be reading just the first 11 verses, whether it's a physical Bible or a Bible on your phone, um, go ahead and turn there, that'll be good. And we're going to read through this together, Uh, but just to give you some context, this is taking place in history, in, in, in Israel's history, at a really awkward point. Uh, you got Moses, who's, who's served um, God for 40 years. This is the dude who, who's like, a, if they have trading cards for superheroes of the Jewish faith, Moses is like top. Because you've got, he's the guy who liberated the people um, out of bondage under Egypt. And so you got people, and then you, you've, got, you've got a situation where um, he gets the, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law from God at Mount Sinai right after that. Boom. And he's also the one that God told to bring the people in the promised land. And they didn't do that. They get to a place called Kadesh Barnea and they choke. And they get freaked out because they, they are super intimidated at the land. They're super intimidated at the, the, the people in the around. This is the minority movement, ethnically, militarily, psychologically, minority, to go into this situation with these guys who are superior people of war. These guys are going to toasted. And so they choke 40, and, and for 40 years, they're wandering around in the wilderness, kind of coming back to camp at this place called Kadesh Barnea, or Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh is a place that's um, right on the southern border of the promised land. And the weird thing is, is that that's got to be the most embarrassing, shameful place that they could possibly can imagine, because that's the location where they choked and kept them from going into the promised land. Like, I mean, just think about this. I mean, all of us have embarrassing moments. I would love to walk around with a, a microphone and ask you yours. In fact, I've got a microphone. No, we're not going to. Um, but I, I would love to hear those. But the thing is that sometimes there's embarrassing moments that are more than just embarrassment. They're shameful. Like there's places that you remembered where you did something or you said something that to this day when that place is brought up or that town is brought up that you grew up in or that house or, or that school where you remember that where that humiliating thing took place like for you it just sends shivers back through your spine it makes you feel like like puking because you're so messed up and torn up because whatever happened way back then still kind of has a pull on you it has a control on you that's Kadesh Barnea that's that's the place where they choked and yet the weird thing is is for 40 years The Israelites keep on wandering around the the wilderness, but they keep coming back to Kadesh and camping there. Almost like, I can't get out of this shame. I can't, like, like, I feel like paralyzed by this. It's it's all encompassing all around me, and yet we keep coming back here remembering the fact, look, remember what happened here. So now Moses is dead, and the baton is getting passed to Joshua. Joshua 
opens up with the death of Moses and goes from there to, to this like absolutely anxiety, panic attack riddled moment in Joshua's life that you and I get a chance to read through. And so if you could stand as we read God's word, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, the first 11 verses. After the death of Moses, verse 1, the servant of the Lord, the Lord, Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, Get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, so here's the amazing thing that we see in this. If you, if you um, do the, the special features of the movie of this moment, the crossing of the Jordan, you realize that they're on the banks of the river Jordan, and this is a turning point. Because again, Joshua and his leaders have a chance to make a decision. Do we replicate history? Do we do what our parents and our grandparents did 40 years ago, again, back at Kadesh Barnea, where we choked, where we, we were faithless, they were faithless? Do we, do we walk in the same steps as those guys and do that same thing? Or do we actually step across this Jordan? Now, we, we need to realize that this is not just, oh, and then they followed God and they did it. This was super, super panic riddled because on one side, you've got safety, security, and familiar. They've been this side of the DMZ line for 40 years. I mean, that's 40 years, like one year times 40, four decades, 40 years. And so this is all they've known. They've made it a lifestyle. And they're like, okay, so maybe it's better in the promised land, but I mean, Phoenix makes it work in the desert. Maybe we could do it too. Let's just stay here on this side of the Jordan. There's safety, security, and the familiar. And on top of that, it's not like over there is going to be like a sure thing that it's going to be all good. In fact, we know as soon as we cross the Jordan River, we're walking into enemy territory. The cloud of arrows begins to fall the second we cross over and we touch the soil on the opposite side. On the flip side of the Jordan, we have danger promised us. Failure promised us and disaster. Yeah, God says it will be successful, but he doesn't say that it's going to be difficult. He doesn't say it's going to be free from difficulty. He says that it's going to be, we, we know that it's going to be a fight, conflict, and we're out of our league. And yet, they're at the, the corner of making that decision or not. Leaving the Kadesh Barnea of the past behind them, Actually, stepping with courage. Um, this guy named Wayne Stiles put it this way. We come to the line every day. It's a border. Fear keeps us from stepping over it. What we see feels more compelling than what God has said. Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh Barnea was such a place. So, Joshua and the leaders, their parents, their grandparents are gone. Now it's their move. 
And after 40 years, they're ready to take a very bold step. The, the, the series that we're frameworking is looking at this, this whole moment in Israel's history because in order to step over and actually follow what God called them to do 40 years prior, the people that were around back then are dead. So that means that there's some people that are going to have to step up into roles that they're not accustomed to. They're going to have to step up in a way that their parents and grandparents may have been equipped for, but they're not. So stepping up means stepping into roles that they, they, they were previously occupied by other people. But on top of that, they're going to literally be stepping out in faith and crossing into a situation where every step is an inch closer, a foot closer to danger and peril and conflict and disaster. Knowing that, walking into that, and yet doing it anyway. Now this week, uh, next week, and the, the following week, we're going to be talking about that river and that crossing. But this week, we're on this side. We're on this side of the, the Jordan this week. We're talking about what was it in Joshua, before he takes the first step, before he gets to the other side, what was it on this side of the shore of the, of the Jordan River that caused him and gave, made, him, made him capable to actually take that step? Because he had, he had the only resources he had this isn't, he hasn't, he's not used to leading like this. This is different, a different game for him. The resources he had were actually in the past. The reason that Joshua had the courage to take the step across into what God was calling him to do was because of these two things. He was able to recognize God's enduring presence with Israel in the past and God's empowering selection of Israel in the past. These are the same two things that gives us the capability on the bank of the Jordan of our life to do the same thing, to make bold steps for God because of his enduring presence in the past and his empowering selection of us in the past. It's like if, if there's a vehicle for Christian boldness, it's got this massive rearview mirror because there's no way you could possibly be bold and courageous to do what God wants you to do without a massive understanding of what's taken place before that. If you take a look at this, I mean, what Joshua is on the banks with, he's got some of these resources. As far as God's enduring presence with Israel in the past, he grew up with the accounts of creation. And so he sees that, that you have God's enduring faithfulness even to humanity after they fail him. God, God has Adam and Eve, and even after failing, God promises to continue on. In fact, he's so faithful and so enduring that he says, and the hope of the world is going to come through you, Adam and Eve. Like everything in me wants to say, okay, humanity, no more. We're going to switch over to a different animal. Dogs are going to be my, my agent of choice for the redemption of the world. No. He says, it's going to come through humans. Humans, I, in spite of your failure, I'm going to be faithful to you and I'm going to endure on. I'm not kicking you to the curb. Are there consequences of your actions? Are you out of Eden? For sure. But you're going to go forward with me. Because I am faithful. Not only that, you have Noah. You have God's second major reset moment where he has an opportunity to kick humanity to the curb. But Noah's with God and he says, okay, you're not a perfect man, Noah, but we're together. And I'm going to preserve, I'm going to show my faithfulness to humanity through you and your family. And you're going to go forward together with me. And you see God's provision and it being so unmistakably, unmistakably God's work through him that actually pulls it off. Abraham and Sarah, okay, Abraham, if you're not familiar, Abraham is a guy who is set up, he's made, established, okay? If you're in high school looking to go to college and think about your career, you want to know what you're going to be able to do that's going to make enough money for you, Abraham's in a situation where the career is set. He doesn't have to worry about his career. He's a made man. He, he doesn't have to worry about money for the rest of his life. His family is established in the community. So when he goes into the, the grocery store, they like him, they say hi to him, and sometimes they buy him groceries. I mean, that's Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, boom, they're established. And all of a sudden, God interacts with them. 
Now, Abraham's not a believer. Well, he's a believer, but he's a believer in lots of gods. He doesn't believe in the one true God until the one true God talks to him and calls him to follow him. So Abraham, you're established, you're made. I want you to leave all the security, all the familiar, everything that you know, and I want you to go into a precarious situation where you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. Okay. Where? I'm not going to tell you that. Just come on, go on. No, but where, where are we going? This way. You're going to be a great nation. Well, hold on. My wife and I, we're having fertility problems. Like, yeah, I know. Just follow my lead. Just trust me. And Abraham steps into that. And the whole accounting of Abraham's life is this reality that Abraham took that step of faith and should have because he was following the one true God. And God showed himself to be faithful. Joshua's on the banks remembering Adam and Eve, remembering Noah, remembering Abraham and Sarah. But not only them, his buddy, Moses. I mean, one of the things that, that, that he recognized was all the way through that, even though things were sideways and sketchy all over the place, God was consistently faithful to God's people, preserving them, laying out hope, not kicking them to the curb, saying, no, I'm still going to endure, even if it's going to be in the next generation. I mean, he, even what God was telling him in, in verse 5, he says this to him. This, was, this is the power of was. The reason that Joshua could take this bold step is because of was. God says to him, as I was. The reason that you can have courage to take this step, Joshua, because I was. The reason that right now in this moment you can have the guts to do something you don't have the guts to do is because I was. As I was. You can document it. You were there. You remember it. As I was with Moses. Use that. Use the was. As I was with Moses. So I am with you. When you take this step, when you cross this Jordan, you're not flying solo as I was, so I will be. And the amazing thing with that is that the more that when it comes to God, the more that we know about history, the more we trust him, the more that we trust in his destiny for us. When it comes to God, the more you know about history, the more you trust you have in his destiny, the more trust you have in his destiny. And that's the cool thing about God, is that with everyday people, the more we get to know them, the less trust we have, right? Right? It's like you can know someone like, man, this person's amazing. And then you go on vacation with them. No. <laughs> oh, man, this girl's phenomenal. And then you start dating. Uh, right? And guys, too. It's just, it's the thing. It's just weird. It's like with humans, the closer you get, the more you're like, wow, you're way more ordinary than I thought. The further away, oh my gosh, with God, just the opposite. God, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to God, the more trust you have in his destiny, that he has a destined plan for you, that you can trust, even though it looks sideways, sketchy and scary, and it is, all those things, but you can trust God to get you through it. The more you know about God, the more history matters, because you go back and you can see the history of all the people in scriptures, you can go back in your own history, your own church's history, and recognize God's faithfulness in the past, giving you the guts to do what he wants you to do in the present. But you see, it's not just his enduring presence with us in the past. It's his empowering selection of us in the past. Go back to that same list. You've got Adam and Eve. Again, if we're looking at track records for great selections of people who don't mess up, God would not have a great track record. You go to Adam and Eve and you see that the first people that God crafts and creates are not perfect. They rebel against him. They sin against him. 
I mean, I mean, it's just like, it's like, why in the world? Like, but yet, these are the people. And the, the Bible doesn't say, all right, let's just skip Adam and Eve. Let's go to the next couple because this couple's a mess up. It doesn't do that. It keeps them in there. It doesn't censor it out. Noah, okay, you go over to an, into uh, Adventure Outpost Nursery, and I guarantee you there's going to be like some like wall sticker with like a, a boat with giraffe heads coming out of it and like animals around the rim of it and this beautiful rainbow with clouds on the side and water, right? And you, might, you might even have like a video of it. We know the Noah account. We know the Noah account of Noah just going, I'm going to do what God wants me to do and the flood and everything else, and that's great. You know what you won't find on a wall sticker? What happens after that? The ark lands on Mount Ararat, and Noah is so stoked about what happened. Like, man, God is so good. What should I do? Get crazy drunk, and he gets crazy drunk. He plants a vineyard and gets wasted. That's not on a sticker. We haven't painted that on a wall. There's not like some veggie tales like, okay, kids, let's watch Noah. And there's, like, there's, there's no like, like cartoon drawing pages with Noah. It's like, eh. It's not there, but it's here, right? It's not there, but, but it's here. And the thing, and that actually, that, that drunken situation led to a precarious sexual situation with his family. Again, not on the wall, but in here. If I was God wanting to show how awesome a selection process I have, I keep those details out. Let's pad the resume. Let's cut out the fact that I worked there and that ended up awful. God doesn't do that. You got Abraham and Sarah, again, amazing people of faith until they weren't. They laugh in God's face at what God says that he's calling them into. They think it's a joke. They doubt God all the way through. And yet Hebrews 11 says that they're people of faith. Why? Because these are the people that God selects. And you get, I mean, even with Moses, Moses is someone who killed a dude at the beginning of his ministry career. Killed a dude. And then all of a sudden, he gets all, his rage issues don't go away. I don't know if you've got anger problems, but this guy does. And he get, right at the end of his life, he gets so angry that he's just like hitting stuff. And, and all of a sudden, God's like, okay, you know what? You're not going into the promised land. It's going to be someone else who's going to take the people. His anger issues kept him from being able to get into the promised land. He was able to get to heaven, but just not to be the leader. You can't, you, you can't lead. It's amazing that God doesn't censor these people out. Because the crazy thing is, is that oftentimes what I think is that, that God uses the best people. But truly, the more that you know about the people God chooses to affect great change, the more confident you are in his power. The more that you know about the people God chooses to affect great change, the more confident you are, not in their power, not in their leadership skills, in his. Like I remember as a little kid, I mean, I'm hearing about all these amazing people, Moses, Abraham. I didn't hear the drunken part. I mean, hear all these things, right? And I remember as a little kid thinking, man, but those are like professional followers of God. Like, I'm just me. These people are like amazing. I mean, look what they've done in their faith. I'm just me. Sometimes I feel like I'm two steps forward and 150 steps back. And so I remember after initially feeling bad about myself when I would, the more I learned about the people that God chooses. And then I started reading the Bible. I started feeling really good about myself. Because seriously, there's not been a week that I've killed a person. I've wanted to, but it's never happened. And so I'm like, Moses was awesome. He killed a dude. I feel pretty awesome about myself. Maybe God could use me. But here's the thing. The older I've gotten in my faith, when I, the more I learn about people that God chooses to use, I'm not 
I don't feel better about myself or worse about myself. I just feel more and more blown away with God. He uses all kinds of people. And, and, and what, what the thing is, is that each one of these people could have been disqualified, oftentimes self-disqualified. And yet, God chooses to select them because they are doing something in the midst of the world, in the midst of the problems, in the midst of their poor decisions, they're doing this. They're taking that step out of Kadesh. They're taking that step into being obedient. Even though it's sketchy, scary, and everything else, they're doing that. The more you know about the people God chooses to effect great change through, the more that you have confidence in his power. But here's the thing. The whole Jordan crossing thing is not like some morality tale about being brave. This isn't something that you should say, oh, I just love this. God says, be strong and very courageous. That's, that's for me because I'm applying a Kentucky fried chicken and I'm scared. But God promised me to be strong and courageous that he won't leave me. So I'm going to take my application over, actually it's online, right? I'm going to type out my application to KFC and God's going to be with me and I'm going to get the job. And then I don't get the job. I'm like, where was God on that one? See, this, that's not what the crossing the Jordan is all about. It's not about your sanity. It's about God equipping you for service. It's not, it's not about you feeling more emboldened just to, to be you and to do what you want to do or even to be successful in life. It's God setting you up with the scariest thing in the world, which is to do what God wants you to do. And whenever God gives you a purpose, it's going to freak you out. If it's super easy, I'd question that. But if it freaks you out, that might be from God. And that's what this is all about. Whenever you meld the purposes of God with the people of God, you've got a scary situation. But this is why the Jordan crossing is us looking at what these great big things that God's calling us into that are above and beyond our pay grade individually or even corporately as the church. This group of people has been launched because of a statement Jesus gave after he rose from the grave. It's called the Great Commission. We talked about it last week, right? But have you ever thought about how closely paralleled the Great Commission is in Jesus' time in the first century with the commissioning of Joshua that we just read? Take a look. If you go right back to the Jordan River, you're going to see an amazing parallel. Because in Joshua's Great Commission, you have it starting off with the death, the death of the leader. In Jesus' Great Commission, it also starts off with the death of Christ. In Joshua's commission, you have uh, God saying to him, you and all these people cross into the land I'm about to give them. You cross into the land I'm about to give them. In the Great Commission, the resurrected Jesus says, go and make disciples of all lands, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. One is, go into this section of real estate. Go into this land and occupy it. And then the other one is, go into all lands and occupy them with the good news that this message is for everyone. Make every community gospel-saturated so that people get a chance to hear. And, and, and so all of a sudden, you see that taking place in, in Joshua's commission. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for I will be with you wherever you go. At the end of Jesus' great commission, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And Joshua's commission, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Now, is Jesus all about starting up uh, a nation? Is he, is he like, okay, here's the great commission. I want you guys to have a country, and you're going to call it Jesus land. And everyone there is going to be a Christian, and it's going to be super, super awesome. And the food, Great. Does he say that? No. See, Jesus doesn't call us to build a nation, but rather a kingdom. He doesn't call us to build a nation, but rather a kingdom through the expansion of the gospel. 
This is, this is amazing because Jesus' thing can't be housed uh, in borders. It can't be housed in a, in a country. It can't be housed with one ethnic backdrop. It's something that defies all those and busts through those and breaks out into all these different communities and cultures. And, and the cool thing is, is that the reason that we're here today is because of the Great Commission. You and I. Because the church didn't say, all right, sweet, so let's build this building in Jerusalem and let's get a bunch of people there and we're just going to rock it and stay. We'll just keep on adding on to the building. People left. And you know what? When they were kind of lagging behind, God allowed persecution to come in so that people had to leave to actually fulfill what Jesus was calling them to do with the Great Commission. This is actually what brings us to this morning, and this is why it's such a pivotal morning. Um, For years, um, we've been talking about what is the next step for us. See, because like for Manuka Bible Church, we don't look back 40 years back like Joshua did with embarrassment at the faithlessness of the forefathers, the faithlessness of Moses' generation. We don't have that. At Manuka Bible Church, we look back 40 years and we see the starting of this church with two people that never thought it was going to work, who weren't counting on it working. All they wanted to do was have a community neighborhood church that could be faithful in communicating the Bible and the gospel. That was all they wanted to do. They didn't have to drive out to Joliet to do it. They wanted, to, they wanted it to be something in this community. And there wasn't a church that was teaching the Bible and proclaiming the gospel that way. And so they decided that they wanted to just be faithful here. And here we are, 40 years later, and we're actually ready to take a step ourselves. Um, about 15 years ago, Pastor Dave and I were talking, and he said, you know what, when we get to about 700 people, we should probably start getting ready to plant a church um, to actually send people out to go plant a church somewhere. And I thought, yeah, I don't even know what that means, but okay. And we, and we moved on. And you know what? We got distracted and we forgot about it because God was doing some other stuff. And, and we, so we said, okay, we're actually growing. We're growing now. This is kind of getting intense. So maybe we just need to build a bigger building. But we realized that's super expensive to do that. I'm like, man, maybe we could use the money differently or better. And so we said, let's put the money into our, our nursery and our food pantry and our youth ministry and have a building there for them. But we'll just add services here. And that's, that's kind of how we rolled with it. And, but the more that we were praying about it, specifically in the past five, six years, was like, God, what is it that you want us to do? And the reality was is, is that the idea of what Jesus, calling, what Jesus called us to do was to go. He didn't say, come, say, grow, you know, get bigger and bigger, keep on adding buildings. He said, go. And we realized that we were actually being fed into by lots of communities. And so we started to pray about, okay, God, where do we go first? Not, not only where we go, but where do we go first? And one of the places that, that after lots of consultants, a lot of believers that we had a chance to talk with, Morris was, some, was a place that surfaced. It's not the only place that surfaced. There's lots of places, and I can't wait to get to them. But it, honestly, it was the first place on the map that these guys said, this place right here where you have all these people coming to your church from, that's an important place. One thing that we want to give all of you on your way out is one of these. Um, and this is actually going through kind of like the vision, and I just want to read through it with you real quick. Um, It starts off with 40 years ago. 40 years ago, two families had a burden to start a church. It feels like story time. Um, Two families had a burden to start a church to reach the people of Manuka with the gospel and provide a place where they could grow in their relationship with Jesus. They chose to step out in faith, not knowing what the future would hold. 38 others joined them and stepped up in various ways, from setting up chairs on Sunday to leading Bible studies in a combined effort to launch this brand new church, and Manuka Bible Church was born. 
Over the past 40 years, NBC has grown to be a community of Christ followers who are committed to being real with God, real with each other, and real in the world. Our everyday reality has been transformed by Christ, but there, may be, there are many in our area who are still in the dark with apparent... Oh, thank you. <laughs> I totally was going to read it. They're still in the dark with regard to the life-saving news of Jesus. That would have been hilarious. With the same burden, now 40 years... With the same burden, now 40 years later, we are stepping out in faith to plant a sister church in Morris to best reach that community for his glory. We will be one church. We will be one church in two locations, one in Manuka and the other in Morris. But why in the world are we doing this? Primarily for three reasons, community, consistency, and calling. First off, community. NBC loves people and loves reaching those outside the community of faith. We want to reach those who are not currently following Jesus and Morris. We have a healthy amount of believers from Morris who call NBC their home, but due to distance, have difficult time bringing their neighbors and friends to Manuka Bible Church. That's a problem that planting a sister church in Morris can help. New church plants have been shown to reach far more people in a community with the gospel than simply training up people in evangelism, believe it or not. By moving a church into the neighborhood, we aim to let Morris know that Jesus loves them and so do we. And one question that we get a lot is, okay, so if you live in Morris, you have to go to the Morris plant, right? And the question, or the answer is, yes, it's legal. I mean, you can't, it's, <laughs> it's law. You can't, no, we want people to pray about this. We want to pray where God wants, because there's going to be some people in Morris who after praying about it really feel like God has a role with them here. And guess what? There's going to be people in Manuka after praying about this, and Shorewood and Braidwood, after praying about this, say, I've been waiting for this opportunity. I think this is what God wants me to do. And they're going to be going out to Morris. Continuing on, consistency. God has drawn people to our church who connect through preaching, worship music, local and global missions, and programs aimed to bring all ages closer together and closer to Christ. Our sister church will include the same kinds of ministries and experiences and in the first stage of our sister church, attendees will experience the following. Number one, worship and song. Members of the current worship teams will be leading live in Morris each weekend. So as Pastor Carlos has got multi uh, different groups that rotate in worship, those groups are going to be rotating out to Morris as well. So people in the Morris plant are still seeing a, a lifeblood of Manuka Bible Church there and seeing their friends that they invited who have skills within, in music, growing in their faith and growing in their ability to serve as well. Preaching from our pastoral team. There'll be a campus pastor of the Morris Church who will be doing the majority of preaching with frequent live teachings from Pastor Errol and other pastors. This person that we have as a candidate will be preaching here the weekend of the 18th and 19th. So do not miss out. I'll give you more information on that person next week. Um, so don't miss that out. But, but the one thing that we don't want to do is we don't want to just like feed video over there. Um, we really value live preaching and being, you know, being able to hear from the person that's preaching. And so the campus pastor at that campus will be doing a majority of the preaching. And just like we have team teaching here, myself and the other pastors are going to have the opportunity to go out and cycle into preaching in the Morris camp as well. And I'm super pumped to be preaching out there as well. That's, I'm, I'm so excited. Programs for children. Echo, kindergarten through fourth grade, and Adventure Outpost Nursery will be kicking off day one in our sister church. Those ministries will be out there. As our sister church grows, some ministries will continue to be based on the Manuka campus. For example, Spy Kids, Ice and 360 Ministries, etc. Over time, our goal is to replicate more and more of these programs in Morris. We will have, and on that really quick, um, 
One of the things that we're going to start off right away, though, is, is having uh, ministries like uh, small, small group ministries within those different groups, ISIN 360, that are taking place out in Morris, just to kick that off. We will have one administrative board over both campuses, one budget that covers both campuses, and even though we'll have pastors and support staff serving in two locations, they will meet, plan, and train together as one team. Every single week, we're gathering together, praying, planning, and walking in step with each other. It's going to be super, super cool. So you see our church pastoral staff and support team growing, but staying unified. Calling. Our real connection to God and each other ultimately launches us out to be real in the world, to be real in the world. Jesus called the disciples to go and empowered them by the Holy Spirit to do just that. The early church heard his calling and went. We are a reached people group today because the early church did not simply gather and grow. They gathered, grew, and sent people to go reach others. God has an exciting future in store for all who obey his command to go. Our endeavor into Morris is our first step of obedience to that very call. And finally, this is about you. We're challenging you to pray about whether you will step out or step up. The goers will be stepping out in faith. The stayers will be stepping up in faith. We're praying for 175 to 200 men, women, and children to step out in faith and be a part of our sister church's launch team. By sending out that amount of people, those who stay at the Minooka campus will need to step up in faith as they step into service and leadership positions previously occupied by those called to go. We want to send the best volunteers we have. We want to send first string volunteers, not like people are like, yeah, okay, maybe. No, we want to send the best of the best, which means we got to, we're going to take this year to be training up people that are stepping in and succeeding them on this campus. The hard launch that we're looking at is September 2020, but we have a lot of work between now and then, and part of that is making sure that we have people trained in both sides. Okay, let's jump down here to this. God didn't call us to plant churches. Let that sit there for a second. God did not call us to plant churches. He called us to go and make disciples. It just so happens that planting churches is the best way to make disciples. This is about you taking steps you haven't taken up to this point and watching what God does in and through you. We are praying that by launching a sister church, God will receive glory from a large group of people who are energized to reach others with the gospel. A community of Christ followers who are truly committed to being real with God, real with each other, real in the world. And we're praying that he will use this act of obedience to grow us as disciples as we step out in faith or step up in faith. And we're asking you to step into the adventure of what God has in store in 2020 for both church locations. Will you join us? We step into this. Scary. But after 40 years, we're ready to take a very bold step. And I can't wait to see what God does in the lives of people that are here and the lives of people that go. Um, underneath your chair, you have a rock. And someone just pointed out, is this the week that we throw rocks at the pastor? <laughs> it's not what this is for. It'd be hilarious to watch, but it's not what this is for. Hold on to this for just a second. The thing that, that I want each of you to walk out with is I'd like you to walk out with a printed pamphlet of what I just read to you. That's going to be out there on the tables as you exit. And if you're a thinking person, you should have problems with everything I just said. If you're a thinking person, you should have problems with everything I just said. And so what we've 
done was we've tried to throw rocks at this idea ourselves and talk to other people who can tell us every wrong thing about it. And we've tried to come up with nine good questions that we should be asking and then answers for that. And we've got this on the way out as well. I'm just going to get to two of those, those uh, questions. One, but aren't there already a ton of churches in Morris? No, there aren't any churches in Morris. This is the first one. <laughs> there are churches in Morris. But there's a lot of people that are unchurched that they're not reaching in Morris. We want to come alongside them. We're not their competition. When the village church was planted in Manuka, our staff didn't go, oh, great. There goes our lead. We're going to lose. We're on the same team, right? And so our goal is gospel saturation. And the cool thing is, is in talking with pastors in Morris, believe it or not, they're excited that we're coming out there. They're excited to work alongside us. They're excited about, about Morris being reached. That's their heart. And so our, the goal is, is what research has found is that when a church plant goes to a community with already churches that are there, it's like a defibrillator of health, of discipleship and evangelism that hits all of the churches, not just the one that's going out there. Our goal is to be an aid to them and to come alongside them. Second question, but if it's already difficult to get volunteers, won't sending a large group away make it even harder? Yes and no. Yes, sending 200 people away, especially with some of the best volunteers that we want to send out there, is going to be tough. But see, that's where, that's the amazing thing that people have found. There's this, like, this shock to the system. When a church gets to be a certain size, it's very easy, and you know it's true, it's very easy to walk in here and go, I love this church. What do you do? Nothing. I love it. <laughs> I get coffee. I shook three people's hands when they told us to. Boom. And that's it, Right? And the reality is, is that God has called you to do so much more, but it's easy when a church gets to a certain size to just like sit the bench. God, God's got way more for you than that. And so when you send people out, everyone in that launch team, which we're going to have opportunities for you to sign up for throughout the summer, when that launch team starts to meet this fall, from this fall all the way to the hard launch in September of 2020, they are on mission and they are hardcore volunteers. But guess what? Throughout this year, we're going to be raising up people that are being trained by them here. And a whole bunch of people who haven't yet served will start to and start to see what God is doing in their life. I am so super pumped about that. When you exit here, there's a bunch of tables for you to step into volunteering. That's not for the Morris campus specifically. That's just for this year. If you're someone that has been bench sitting and enjoying, which is great, but you want to step in let that be the training wheels for you to actually step in and, and step up and to being able to, to jump into what God wants you to do. As you exit, I, I, I'd like for you to take each of these things. Then I want you to make sure that you take this, but this is actually not yours. I need this back, okay, in three weeks. I want you to put this somewhere in your house that you could be thinking about and praying about this and praying for this movement, praying for the leadership, praying for you, praying for the lost, but I want you to put this somewhere where it's your kitchen table or it's the cup holder in your car and you'll remember it every time you put your coffee in there and it spills because you've got a rock in your cup holder. I want you to be praying for this. And then three weeks from now, I want you to bring it back. Because so we've got something that I'd like you to do for it then. But bring this back in three weeks. But until then, let this be something that is a reminder stone. These little river rocks, which have a whole lot to do with what we're going to talk about next week. These little river rocks will be a reminder for you. The end of each of these services, we do not want to do, we've been thinking and talking and praying about this for years as a staff, but we want our whole congregation to wrap this in prayer. 
And so we're gonna end each service with, with a brief moment of prayer and some time for you to do that. So right now, the first thing I'd like us to spend some time praying for is for yourself. You know, you fly in a plane and uh, they tell you something that sounds just counterintuitive if you're a parent. It says before you put, like, if, if something happens sketchy and the oxygen masks drop, don't put your kid's oxygen mask on first, put yours, which I'm like, what? And the reality is, is that the reason you have to put yours on first is that if you're healthy, then you'll have more capability to help more people. The first thing we need to be praying for this is, is our own personal health and our own personal heart. Praying that God will actually give us a new heart for those who do not yet know Jesus as their Savior. In the next minute or so, I would like you to pray that God softens your heart. He takes the jaded, numb parts away and breaks your heart for people who don't know Jesus. People that it's been very easy to justify where we're not sharing our faith with them. If God gives you people in particular, like a name or a family member or a neighbor or someone who goes to school with you or someone you work with, pray for that person that God will reach them and God will give you the heart to be the one that talks to them. Spend a minute or so praying for this right now. Secondly, I'd like us to take a step away from just praying for ourselves and praying for something great to take place this year and next. To pray that we see in 2019 and 2020 a tidal wave of lost folks being found in Christ. People from Morris, Manuka, Shorewood, Plainfield, Wilmington, Braidwood, Rockdale, Dwight, people that, that are, are far from God right now and, and that, but that God will reach them. Pray that God reaches those who've never experienced his forgiveness through this church and the other churches in our area. That God will allow people within the church to boldly proclaim their faith and that God will wake up their heart, the people's hearts that need to hear him. So pray specifically that God doesn't do something just minimal, but he does something that we will look back on and know that wasn't us. It was God's faithfulness to do something that great. Pray for that right now. And if God, again, if God has given you someone specifically, a name of someone or brought someone across the radar of your mind, ask that God doesn't waste any time, but uses you this week to start to reach out, start to have conversations with that person about where you're at in your faith, in your journey following Jesus. Amen.